Welcome to Heads Up on Money, the heads up you need to make better financial choices. Hi everyone, welcome. It's another episode of Heads Up on Money. Coming up today, understanding asset classes. Welcome back. I am Benjamin Mitchell. I'm a chartered financial planner and I'm a serial hater of financial jargon. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the wonderful world of asset classes. It's a phrase you probably hear quite a lot when you're looking into your personal finances. Have you ever wondered what exactly do we mean when we're talking about asset classes? And more importantly, why does it matter to you? What bearing do asset classes have on your long-term financial life plan? all coming up in today's episode. Okay, so first of all, let's look at the standard definition. Asset classes would imply an assortment of investment vehicles that share similar characteristics and behave similarly in the marketplace. So asset classes, buckets of assets that typically move in tandem. They share similar features in terms of what you can expect from them in terms of risk and reward. That's the generic definition, that's the definition we're not going to rely upon today. To bring the concepts of asset classes more to life, I'm going to give an example today. We're going to paint a theoretical picture of an investor who has a bit of money behind them, let's say £100,000 for argument's sake, and they've covered all the fundamental things that they should be doing before they start investing. Now, I've talked about this in previous episodes of the podcast Many people jump right in at the deep end when it comes to financial planning. They think they can understand and navigate the stock market. They start dabbling when they don't have solid foundations in place. So let's assume that this individual has all the fundamental things in place and they are ready now to consider investing this money for the medium to longer term. Now, there are different asset classes out there. We're going to go through each of them in a fairly high level summary because I don't believe you need a deep dive on this. You just need to know the salient facts of each of them and the typical risk and reward characteristics inherent under each. But let's assume this individual is looking typically at how do I grow this money over the medium to longer term? What options do I have available to me? What are the asset classes I can invest in? And what can I expect in terms of my risk and reward journey thereafter? Asset class number one is cash. So it's something we all understand, be this cash in the bank, cash under the mattress, short-term savings accounts, long-term savings accounts. We all understand what cash is. It's it's the thing we used to live on in the short term. It's the exchanging medium by which we enjoy ourselves. And it is an asset class in its own right. So cash is an asset class. You earn a very small return on that asset typically in the form of interest from a bank or if you're looking at other kind of cash-based products such as the National Savings and Investments Vehicle Premium Bonds, you've maybe heard of that, whereby rather than getting an allocated interest payment, you are entered into a prize draw where you could be winning a bit of money. Cash is is certainly an asset class in its own right, but as we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, It is not a vehicle for long-term wealth creation. When it comes to a fight between cash and the terminator of wealth, i.e. inflation, cash suffers 
badly and we all know this. The savings accounts and the savings rates we get from banks are often pretty poor. They are doing little in terms of growing the money over the medium to longer term and when inflation is high, all that happens with your cash is it's going down in real terms every year. A pound today is worth a lot more than a pound tomorrow when inflation is high and cash does nothing in terms of offsetting inflationary pressures. But nonetheless, it is an asset class. And cash does have its purposes. Broadly speaking, we should be holding cash. We should have an emergency fund tucked away for rainy days for any emergencies that we don't foresee. We need to get our hands on cash quickly and easily. Cash has a very important purpose there. And similarly, there may be some planned expenditures we've got coming up that we know are on the horizon. So are you planning replacing your car in a couple of years? Are you saving for a child's wedding? Whatever it might be, if you've got certain amounts that you're looking to save and you know those are figures you're going to need to pay out in the next two years, you should not be looking at anything beyond cash. Cash is erosive in the longer term, but you still need to have it for the shorter term. So if our individual, going back to the example, comes along with their £100,000 to invest and they've already got a bit tucked away for an emergency fund, they've had a look at what they think is coming up over the next couple of years and they've covered all that separately. They've got some cash savings tucked away. Important note there, savings, not investments. Very different things. Savings, short term, cash in the bank, investments, long term, You're starting to invest that money in the great companies of the world, in stock markets and in other asset classes, as I'll come on to. So once the individual has covered these very important things, there is really no merit in using cash as a long-term creator of wealth. Cash will do nothing for you in that regard. And it's always um, the sayings that I get from clients are, yes, but cash, it's it's risk-free. It's not going to change in value. It's safe. It's dependable. You can't go wrong with cash. Cash is king, they say to me. And I would really turn that around and say, yes, there's no investment risk with cash, but there are a lot of other risks to holding cash, primarily inflation risk. You are losing the value of that wealth over time. So that is asset class number one, cash. Okay, so asset class number two, fixed income securities, also known as bonds. Now, We use the phrase bonds very often in financial services and they can mean different things in different situations. Bonds in this context is not to be confused with premium bonds, the savings product from NS&I, the National Savings and Investments, the government bank effectively. We're not talking about premium bonds here, we're talking about bonds in the traditional sense of debt instruments. So to understand here what I'm talking about, fixed income securities, let's look at it from the perspective of a company or a government. So in the case of companies, they look to raise financing to grow their operations. Now, typically, they've got two ways of doing that. The first way is to raise equity finance, whereby they will list on a stock market. They'll raise some money from private individuals. And in return for the private individuals buying into the company, the company will then return some dividends to the end investor. And over time, the share price will hopefully grow as the company performs well. Now, the other way that the company may look to raise its financing is through debt instruments. So what happens here is a company will issue bonds. Just remember that phrase, bonds. And as a private investor, we would typically lend the company, say, £1,000, 
And in return, the company will pay us back that £1,000 in, let's say, 20 years' time. These time skills vary. It's not important. What you need to get is just your heads around the, the main parts of this. But effectively, you lend a company a chunk of money and in X years, they will pay you back that chunk of money that you've lent them. And along the way, they will typically pay you regular payments, which are known as coupons or interest payments. And these payments are predetermined, they are ineffectually guaranteed, and the benefit to you as the private investor is you've got a regular income stream coming in that is not variable. So you as a private investor come along, you write a cheque for £1,000, in 20 years time you'll get that £1,000 back and along the way you'll get a series of coupon payments. Now what this means is that from the company's perspective, they have to keep making these payments to you, whereas in equity financing, they've got a bit of discretion. They may act, they may elect to not pay you a dividend in certain economic times. So there's a bit more risk and variation when it comes to equity investing, but fixed income debt instruments are guaranteed. So as a private investor, you've got more certainty. And these bond instruments can be corporate in nature, so it's an organisation that has raised debt financing, or they can be government-backed bonds. So governments also raise financing in this way, and in the UK, government bonds, you may have heard them more frequently referred to as gilts. Gilts, that is. So if you heard the phrase about gilts and yield curves and interest rates and all that jazz in the media, they're just talking about government bonds. So the government is the lender in this case, not an organisation. They can seem a bit more complicated than cash. Cash is more understandable, I get that. When it comes to bonds, you and I as individuals, everyday individuals, typically we don't hold bonds directly. We access them through shared vehicles, um, such as funds which are exposed to bonds in nature. And the key takeaway is when we're investing in bonds, they're a bit more dependable than investing in companies in their equity, but they are slightly more risky than cash because in some situations with, with higher risk corporate bonds, there is a risk of default. If a company is wound up, then bondholders get paid ahead of the equity holders, but there can be situations where bondholders can't be met in terms of the liability. So there is a risk there. You've probably heard of um, credit rating agencies, so they provide an arguably independent, that's another discussion point, they provide an independent opinion as to the credit worthiness of a lender. So they assess how likely they are to default, how likely they are to make these payments to you. And it's for this reason that typically government government debt, government bonds are perceived as risk-free quite often. I mean, in the case of the UK government, they have never defaulted on one of their government bonds. So it's a lot more stable than investing in equities and it's something that you normally blend with equities depending on your risk profile. So think of bonds as a bit of that muting effect. So you add in bonds as required to provide a bit of diversification and take some of the heat out of investing only in equities. And that links us on to number three, equities. So equity investing, what are we talking about here? We're talking about stocks and we're talking about shares and those are probably the things you've heard of more in the media, but what we're essentially investing in is companies. And as investors, we part with some of our hard-earned money, and the objective is by investing in these companies, we hope that over the medium to longer term, they will perform really well, 
and they will beat inflation and the value of the shares will grow and along the way they'll make a series of payments to us called dividends and over time these dividends can either be paid out as an income to us or they can be rolled up in further investments into the company and history doesn't lie that when it comes to long-term wealth creation if you want to beat the terminator of wealth you need to be exposed to equity investing and it is not as risky as much as it might seem it's not gambling if you do it well and you do it right and equity investing I've said it before and I'll say it again, is the key to beating inflation. And there is a risk when it comes to equity investing that you can lose 100% of your money. Now, that is the, the, the position that is the worst case scenario. If you do this sensibly and don't put all your eggs in one basket and you diversify across geographies, across sectors. But the risk is here, if you invest in just one company, which is not the sensible thing to do, no matter how much of an expert you think you are in that industry or in that company, I am sorry to be the one to tell you you're not smart enough to beat the stock market, and neither am I. You need to be just be diversifying here. And if you invest in a company, let's say one individual company, if that company goes into administration, you lose all of your money. They don't have any responsibility to pay you back you rank pretty low in the order of liquidation, you get nothing. And that is why we often have the perception that investing in the equities and in great companies is risky. And it can be, obviously, in that drastic scenario, but if you do this right, it doesn't have to be. And as sensible investors, if we invest in equities and we diversify appropriately and we manage our behaviours, and what I'm talking about here is we understand that equity investing is a bit more tumultuous. Things will go up, things will go down. But in situations where things do go down, we don't make rash judgments and pull our money out of the markets. We sit tight, we weather that storm, take a massive step back, don't look at your portfolio every night. You will see that over the medium to longer term, equities always win out. And when it comes to the fight against inflation, they win. I've referred to equity investing previously as coattail investing, and that's exactly what it is. You're riding along on the coattails of innovative companies, fantastic, very smart companies led by very smart individuals. You're investing in the belief that tomorrow is going to be better than today, and you're doing this so that your future wealth buys you the lifestyle that you want tomorrow. Because if you don't, your wealth will just be eroded. Over time, the terminator of wealth will win out, and that will compromise your life plans, your life goals. That's what it's all about. It will be the difference between you being able to retire at 55 or send the grandchildren to university with some nice gifts. Whatever it might be, equity investing is the key to unlocking what you want from your financial life plan. But if you've got too short a time frame, equities are not the vehicle for you because they are incredibly volatile. Key here, volatile, not risky. Volatility is very different to risk. Risk implies bad things, negativity, whereas volatility is just, we understand equities will go up and they will go down. That is the behaviour of this asset class. When we invest in cash, it's going to remain stable. 10 grand in the bank is going to be 10 grand in the bank and a little bit more with interest in a year's time. But when it comes to equities, we need to appreciate that value is going to be changing all the time. There's going to be some periods where it's doing really well and some periods where they're not doing so well. And that is the key to your investment time frame. If you're investing over the medium to longer term, 
short-term fluctuations in the market are not going to be of interest to you. If that is worrying you and that is keeping you up at night, you shouldn't be investing in equities. It really is as simple as that. And ding, 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 we have made it number four. The final main asset class that I'm going to discuss today is property. And property is an asset class that we do all understand a little bit more. It is often, when we're talking about bricks and mortar and our homes, it's a tangible asset class. We can touch it, we can see it. Property is also the asset class we all tend to exaggerate our understanding of. And I think what I'm alluding to here is often that saying that you can't go wrong with property and property always goes up. Investing in bricks and mortar will always win out. Now, there's an element of truth in that, in that I've mentioned in previous podcasts, when it comes to fighting the terminator of wealth, property is another asset class that often exceeds inflation. But to caveat that, there are times when the property market does burst. It's not always rosy. Things do not always go up with properties. The bubble bursts occasionally and there are peaks and troughs depending on wider market conditions as to whether property is doing well as an asset class or not. When it comes to investing in property, there's typically two ways in which you can access that. So number one is directly held property. And what I'm kind of mentioning here is is the bricks and mortar, physical buildings, investing in actual tangible properties. Now, be that residential properties, perhaps you're a buy-to-let investor, you're a landlord, or it can be commercial properties. So you can have a commercial premises that is leased out to a company, whatever it might be. Key here, bricks and mortar, you actually own the property. And in return, what you hope as an investor to get from that asset class is capital appreciation over the medium to longer term. So the hope is the actual value of that bricks and mortar, that property will go up and will exceed inflation. And often history has told us that is the case. So property is often very good in that regard. And then you also get a rental income. So you maybe have tenants in your rental property and they pay you a regular monthly sum or it can be in a commercial premises you get a lease from a client. So Investing in property, take a step back as an asset class. Effectively, all you're hoping here is that the asset itself will rise in value and along the way you'll get a series of rental payments. Now, you can also access property indirectly and I'm talking here about funds. Gain access to the property markets and the movement of the property markets without just holding property as an asset class. You don't have to actually hold a building, invest in a building to access the property market. There are investment vehicles out there to tap into the property markets. I'm not always a fan of these. They're often a bit opaque in their charging structures. And my opinion is that property is great. It's a hedge against inflation. Um, But there does come some complications when you're directly investing in property as an asset class you know, being a a landlord, for example, there's a lot of administration burden that goes along with that. The tax regime for landlords in the UK has moved from quite favourable to largely unfavourable over the last few years. And it's pretty much a clampdown on landlords gaining tax reliefs on their second properties. So it's, it's tough to make a good return on property. But that said, it can be a good diversifier. So if you've invested in the equities and the bonds that I've alluded to earlier in the podcast, There comes a point where you may wish to increase um, your exposure to other asset classes and property is a good way to do that. And often the, the idea of not holding all your eggs in one basket 
applies also here is by investing across different asset classes you are helping to immunize yourself against unfavorable market movements in certain times and when it comes to property investing a rental income can be quite dependable of course there may be times when your tenants default on their payments or you have an empty property but generally speaking that that dependability that regularity in the income can be quite attractive for you and that is why for many the idea of being a property investor is is quite appealing so there you have it we're not going to go into the details of of what's the best asset class to invest in what's the worst to invest in there is no simple answer is the honest truth the key I want you to take away from today is, is as investors, as private investors, there are typically four main asset classes at your disposal. Cash, bonds, equities and property. And each of them have different risk profiles, different reward profiles. Next time you're looking at your investments, for instance, your fund that your pension is invested in, have a look at the fund fact sheet and you'll see that they are typically exposed to these four asset classes. And the blend across these different asset classes will largely be determined by your risk profile and your appetite for risk and how much you can stomach investment risk in its various guises. So you're now an expert, a money nerd on asset classes. Not as complicated as you thought it was going to be. Just remember the four key areas, cash, property, bonds and equities. And if you know someone who might find this podcast of interest, please share it with them. It really means a lot to me in the creation of the podcast that we get this out to as many people as possible by leaving some reviews on your platforms or rating the podcast and spreading the word. It means I can reach more people and get as much financial wisdom out there as I can. I really hope that you've enjoyed today's session. It's been a fun one for me and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Until then, money nerds, have a good one. (laughs) 